0: Day. Those of you that that uh, that title has some meaning, Happy Father's Day. Hope you have a good day. Fathers, uh, grandfathers, stepfathers, maybe even some surrogate dads are here. I uh, hope this is a great uh, a great day for you. As, as Leah's already said, uh, today we start a new series uh, entitled Getting Past Guilt. Last month I had an opportunity to speak at a men's retreat, actually to co-lead this men's retreat with Dr. Joe Beam. Uh, Joe is the, the founder of and the chair of Marriage Helper, which is a, um, a ministry devoted to helping marriages in crisis. and uh, So anyway, I had the opportunity to kind of work with Joe on this men's retreat, and the leaders of that retreat wanted us to work out of one of Joe's older books. Joe not only a um, has a Ph.D. in, in serving uh, the church through helping marriages, but he's also, also a widely read author. And one of his books that was written years and years ago, it's originally titled Forgiven Forever, but it's since been reprinted under a new name called Getting Past Guilt. And so anyway, the leaders of this retreat asked us to kind of work out of that, so I spent a lot of time reading through that, and Joe and I shared uh, some time reading through and, and teaching out of that, and I found the, the material to be so powerful and so biblical, just a, a reminder of how much God has to say about about guilt and about sin, but, but also about grace, mercy, forgiveness. So after praying about it and thinking about it, I thought this would be a, a great, a great uh, series for us to work through together this summer. So I hope that you're, you're looking forward to this, um, maybe an odd thing to say, I hope you're looking forward to hearing about guilt. Uh, I understand that, that that may not be really high up on your list of things you want to hear about. But, um, but over the next few weeks, we will be kind of praying through this and hearing what God has to say. Just as a side note, before we move on, on, on July the 8th, Joe will actually be here and he'll be speaking that Sunday morning. He'll be teaching a combined adult class that day as well as we just continue to, to think about this and pray about this together. So I know you want to put that on your calendar. Irma Bombeck once wrote that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And that's so true, isn't it? If you've been impacted by by guilt over the course of your life, unfortunately, you know that the compound interest accrues pretty quickly when it comes to guilt. Uh, Almost everyone deals with guilt at a very deep, deep level. Almost everybody. It's universal that we all experience guilt, but we deal with that guilt in in a variety of ways. Uh, When we talk about guilt, we're talking about the area of our lives where shame is most active. We're talking about these areas in our lives that we would probably just as soon sweep under the rug. We're talking about these areas we would just as soon cover up. So I'll go ahead and tell you, you over the next couple of weeks, this this is the kind of thing that will probably be pretty uncomfortable at certain moments. Because this is the kind of stuff that we, we don't normally want to put in the light And shine a spotlight on those dark areas of our lives. We just assume not talk about guilt and shame and sin, right? But those are precisely the kinds of things that God talks about in his word. So that's why we need to spend some time this summer thinking about this and talking about this as well. So over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about guilt. But what the Bible has to say about guilt, where it comes from, its effect on us. And I hope that you'll join us over the, these next few weeks. If you happen to be visiting today, maybe, you're, maybe you just showed up here today. Maybe you're here because your dad or your granddad is here. Uh, we're, we're grateful that you're here no matter what the reason might be. But I hope today you hear something that whets your appetite to come back and to hear more. Because I've been praying that God would use this series to help us see Jesus in a more clear way. Because he is the ultimate antidote, the remedy to Our guilt and our shame and our brokenness. But before we can really hear that good news, and it is good news, church, before we can hear that good news, we have to be honest about the bad news. Thus, we have to be honest about our guilt and our shame. This morning, in order for this to be a a gospel-based sermon, I think it's important for us to begin with the word of good news, and so that's where we begin. This is the good news about guilt, and this is this is the main thing that I hope to be able to say to you today. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You want an eleven-word sermon? Here it is. Okay, I'm going to use more than eleven words, so don't get your hopes up. All right, but if you just want to bail it all up, uh, if you want to bail it all up, this is what I'm trying to say: that God not only wants to forgive when it comes to your guilt, but He also wants to heal. Is that good news? See, a lot of of Christians have this this view of forgiveness that we have inherited from a variety of different sources, but it, it primarily comes in Protestant churches through John Calvin. John Calvin was a reformer, but he was also an attorney, so a lot of what he wrote came out of that legal kind of world. And so when Calvin wrote about forgiveness and atonement, it was, it was hugely influential on the church and, and some of the language that we often use to describe that, that transaction, what happened on the cross, and how does atonement work, and all of that, that, Calvin really put that in legal kind of language. And so what, what you have, oftentimes, that, that Christians sort of inherit, without even realizing it is we end up with a very kind of judicial understanding of forgiveness that before Jesus we're over here on this side of the ledger all of our sin is outstanding and we we can't pay off the account but but through Jesus then now we're moved over here to this side of the ledger and and God has settled his accounts uh, on our behalf through Jesus and now we are we are not found outstanding but instead we have, have been been declared righteous and so that kind, of, that kind of really judicial, law-based understanding of forgiveness. Now, it's not as if that is entirely off base, okay? It's not as if that kind of understanding of atonement and forgiveness is, is not biblical. That's not the case at all. You find places in the scriptures that describe forgiveness and atonement in precisely that kind of language. So it's not, it's not that that's wrong, okay? It's just that it's incomplete. Because if the only understanding of forgiveness and atonement that we have comes, comes to us in that strictly you, know, judicial, law-based kind of transaction, what we're left with what we're left with is a very cold and impersonal understanding of how forgiveness works. You're on this side of the ledger, now, you're on this side of the ledger. And there's nothing cold. this is important. There's nothing cold or impersonal about the death of Jesus on the cross, right? That is deeply personal. And that blood ran down the foot of that cross. It was warm. So what we understand here is that when it comes to forgiveness, yes, there is that legal sort of transaction that you find in the scriptures, but you also find this impulse from God, that God longs not just to forgive us, Not just to bang the gavel and make a a, a statement of judgment, even if that statement of judgment is to move us into the forgiven category. But God longs to forgive us of our sin, yes. But also this, to heal us from sin, from guilt, from shame, from all the effects of sin. That's what you find expressed in the fullness of the scriptures. One place you can see this is in the book of isaiah in the book of isaiah we're we're going to read here in just a minute from isaiah 57 if you'd like to turn your bibles there to isaiah 57 uh at the beginning of isaiah 57 god speaks pretty directly and pretty harshly about the sin of his people you can read through there you can just kind of kind of look at it he has a pretty scathing indictment of the sin of israel he talks about this he talks about their idolatry you can read through there he talks about their lust at the beginning of chapter 57 he even speaks really uh sarcastically about their supposed righteousness see they 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 presumed that they had right standing with god because of their last name because they were the covenant people because they had the torah they assumed that that meant they could kind of get away with some of these sins and still be declared righteous because hey we're God's favorites. <laughs> and God speaks out against that at the beginning of chapter 57. He says, no, 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 that, that's not the case. So you can look there, just a quick glance through those verses, you can see that Israel's guilt is great, all right? But as he speaks that word against Israel, and as he, as he talks about the greatness of their guilt, God also has this to say in verses 15 through 19. You follow along there in your Bibles, or grab the Bible in front of you, You can see these words on the screen as well. This is is the word of God from Isaiah 57. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse forever, God says, nor will I always be angry, for then the spirit of man would grow faint before me, the breath of man that I have created. And he goes on, I was enraged by his sinful greed. I punished him, and I hid my face in anger, but he kept on in his willful ways. I have seen his ways, and then this, but I will heal him. I will guide him and restore comfort to him, creating praise on the lips of the mourners in Israel, peace, peace to those far and near, says the the Lord. And then, once again, he says this, I will heal them. In this passage, God is speaking of both forgiveness and healing. So he says, I was enraged by their sin. He says uh, that I punished him, meaning Israel. So there's been this, this experience of punishment, but then the Lord also says this, I will not accuse forever. What's implied is that God is now ready to forgive his people. That they have suffered long enough and he's ready now to move toward them in a compassionate even gracious kind of way but not only that two different times in this text you can see again that highlighted he says i will heal them so in the bible we find this is just one example of a place where we find god who, who is interested again in that legal thing where you stand what side of the ledger are you on god is not interested in And us continuing to live in sin he sends jesus into the world so that we might be declared righteous holy as he is holy but at the same time god longs to forgive sin but this too he wants to heal us from sin through isaiah god repeatedly is declaring this intention he wants to heal his people and so forgiveness and healing have kind of a unique relationship. Forgiveness is what happens in God's heart. Healing, on the other hand, is what happens in mine and in yours. Whenever the grace of God is extended to us through Jesus Christ, we receive freely that that gift that he offers, then then we begin this work of, of healing. God, rather, begins that work in us. So again, God wants to do much more than just bang the gavel and make this kind of judgment, even if that judgment is to declare us righteous. He wants to bring healing. And you see this in the ministry of Jesus as well. Several weeks back, we looked at what Simon Peter has to say there in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter ten, when he talks about the ministry of Jesus, and he basically says that Jesus went around doing good and healing people of those infirmities and those sicknesses, the things that were in their lives. Jesus just—he didn't come to just preach a message that said, "Hey, look, if you'll just believe this, you'll be forgiven by my Father in heaven." But the ministry of Jesus was also a ministry of great healing, and I have to ask you: Do you think it's possible that the power of God could be extended to us to bring healing in our lives today, much like? The people in the day of Jesus experienced it through his healing touch as we said last week do you believe in miracles it is a miracle when God intervenes to save and to heal and to forgive so forgiveness and healing are inextricably linked together and that's a good that's a word of good news for us today now a moment ago, I said almost everyone deals with guilt at a deep level, and that's true. Almost everyone, but not everybody. There are a couple of extreme views of guilt that kind of speak to this. Uh, the first is what Joe in his book refers to as uh, a spiritual sociopath, spiritual sociopath. A sociopath is someone who feel, feels no guilt, no remorse for their actions, uh, Ted Bundy kind of stuff. You know, uh, just no sense of sorrow, no remorse. Yeah, I did it, you know, and, I, and I'm not sorry for it, okay? That's, that's one of the, the telltale signs. That's one of the characteristics of a sociopath. A spiritual sociopath, though, feels no sense of remorse or guilt before God because of his or her sin. They might believe in guilt in some sort of intellectual way, but they've stopped feeling any guilt for their actions so they might act as if they have a license to sin they can do you know kind of whatever they want maybe that they're they're sort of represented by what the Apostle Paul writes about there in his letter to the Romans and what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase or so that, that grace may abound absolutely not God doesn't give us this license to sin but a spiritual sociopath has lost all that feeling there is no guilt at that emotional level so They seem kind of like a a good example of what Paul would later say when he writes to Timothy about those in 1 Timothy 4 whose consciences have been seared. You ever known someone like that? I mean, their conscience has been so fried that they no longer feel any kind of guilt, remorse, or sorrow over their actions. You could characterize this by that statement. God just wants me to be happy you heard that before hey you know look God just wants me to be happy so I'm going to take this action and I'm going to trust that that it's from the Lord because God again you know God wants me to be happy right think about that for a minute oftentimes what we really mean by that that's that's usually code right it's usually code for you know I just want to baptize my sinful indulgences I want to do what I want to do, but I want to put some spiritual mumbo-jumbo around it so I don't feel so bad. So, you know, God clearly must want me to to be happy. So I'm just going to follow that trail. When you follow that road to its inevitable outcome, I think you'll realize that it wasn't God who was out front leading the charge on God just wants me to be happy. Now, most people aren't spiritual sociopaths. Most people don't live with that complete lack of of emotional bearing when it comes to guilt. As I said, this is one extreme attitude toward guilt. But there is another extreme attitude, extreme perspective on guilt that I think maybe more of us fall prey to. More of us are prone to this one as opposed to the spiritual sociopath, and it's represented this way. We're bound in the, the spiritual stockade. I performed a wedding here yesterday, and I just told them to go ahead and leave the decorations up here. <laughs> Seeing if you're awake. Sorry, I love you, Sonny. You, you're my morning star. Um, now, spiritual stockade. All right, so think about the other end of the spectrum here. The spiritual sociopath doesn't feel anything, okay? But if Satan can't get you there and it's really tough to get people to the point where their consciences are seared if he can't get you there you know what he'll take the other end of the spectrum where you are a guilt caged Christian where you are bound in this spiritual stockade so if the if the spiritual sociopath is characterized by this last line of thinking God just wants me to be happy well the other end of the spectrum is over here where we think you know God just wants to punish me and so this is the, the, the Christian who gave her life, gave his life to the Lord years ago, and they've tried. They continue to try to live in in obedience, and and maybe they do for for ninety percent of their lives, or ninety nine percent, or whatever. But there is always that one place, right? There is always that one slip up. There is always that one area where, uh, there is that one memory, perhaps, that you can't just let go of, and so these Christians continually lock themselves, bind themselves in a, in a spiritual stockade, and they continue to wallow in that guilt. The very guilt, mind you, that Jesus came to set them free from, the very guilt that in Christ has already been been forgiven. They've already walked in, in the fullness of, of the, the, the forgiveness of Jesus and walked away from that stockade. But over time, the tempter will will draw us back into that stockade and continue to enslave us so that we continue to feel guilty even for the things that Jesus has already forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, remember the Lord saying that? So far have I removed my transgressions from you. And yet, how often do we just run headlong back into that spiritual stockade? I know that there are more of us there than than on the other side of the ledger. I know today we have more people who are bound in the spiritual stockade than we have spiritual sociopaths. And I know it because I hear your stories. I could preach this sermon a lot better at another church. Do you understand what I mean by that? Because I can't tell you fully the stories that I hear from each one of you for fear that you might try and figure out who he's talking about. But I'm telling you, in this church here this morning there are an awful lot of us who I believe understand full well the spiritual stockade how does Satan do this? how does he enslave us in the spiritual stockade? well, a couple of different ways one, he does this he reminds you of your past sin forces of evil are really good at this, aren't they? You know as well as i do they remind us of our past sin the things that we've done the things that we've said the things that we can't really let go of uh anytime you watch a ball game it's amazing how the replay team has th- like 18 different angles of every play right even the most meaningless football baseball game it doesn't matter you know they, it, the stakes could be so low and yet they can replay from every different angle was he in i don't know was he safe was he out you know did she make the shot you know you can replay all of that down to like the millisecond and we have we have it from every angle right and the forces of darkness I think operate in much the same way (laughs) they they operate to replay those scenes in our minds repeatedly that we just would love to let go of and not only that they'll show it from every different angle so that we will continue to be enslaved by these kinds of past memories so anytime you try to make a move like the like like john says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light anytime we make that step you know what the the forces of darkness are going to do they're going to do everything they can to draw us back into the darkness and they will use the memory of our past sin you know how this works right Just about the time you start to step out there in faith you start to do something i'm I'm following the lord's leading in this area you start to hear that little whisper maybe it's a whisper maybe it's a megaphone screaming in your ear but you hear you know that little voice where it says you know who do you think you are do i need to remind you of what you've done do i need to remind you about last year or last week or five minutes ago you know do i need to remind you of who you are and then the replay starts. And when that happens, we start replaying it. We start piling on that. We run headlong back into the spiritual stockade. We experience that guilt once more. Forces of darkness are really great at using our past sin. God wants to use memory. Do this in remembrance of me, right? Well, Satan takes a page from the Lord's book, and there are things that he would have us remember. That we need to let go of, if we're going to overcome our guilt. But that's just one way. Uh, another is this, that Satan will sometimes, maybe I should have added sometimes, because that looks like a pretty authoritative statement, okay? Satan will sometimes attack you through fellow Christians. Sometimes, all right? Uh, one of the greatest sources of guilt in our lives comes when we feel a sense of judgment from our fellow Christians. When we feel that those who, are, who, who the Lord intended to be a source of encouragement in our lives instead become those sources of harsh judgment, undue judgment. Uh, I love what Paul says in Galatians 6. He says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That word gently, it evokes humility and meekness. Why should we restore one another with gentleness, with humility? Well, because there have been times in our lives when we've needed someone to restore us, right? There have been times where we've needed that person to come along. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a good friend, spouse, kid, you know, police officer. I don't know, like somebody who comes along into your life and says to you, "Mm -mm, no, 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 this, this is not right, this is not good, this is not you, and that redirection, parenting is that's what loving people in the lord is so so that whole thing when that happens you want someone who's able able to understand to do so with humility and gentleness but unfortunately it doesn't appear that these brothers and sisters were doing that just a chapter earlier listen to what he says in chapter five you my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature rather serve one another in love the entire law is summed up in this command love your neighbor as yourself but then there's this if you keep on biting and devouring each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other mm. and now we know why paul is is writing this saying yeah, you need to be gentle with one another because they're biting each other like wild animals do you notice sin is the context of both passages go back and look at it that's the context of both of these passages and yet you find two radically different approaches so imagine the level of guilt and shame that was being thrown around by those brothers and sisters if it got so bad that Paul had to say can y'all stop biting each other Can you stop attacking each other this way some of us I think know what this feels like some of us today unfortunately are in that spiritual stockade Today, because of the bite marks of a, of a fellow Christian. They may have been well-intentioned. Hopefully, they weren't being malicious. That can happen, too. But regardless, when, when we felt that, that bite, when we felt that sting, when it was, mm, ouch, that judgment, what happened? Guilt happened, and shame happened, and we ran back into the spiritual stockade because of that harsh judgment from another brother or sister. And you may think I'm wrong. and That's fine. But I would just ask you, why don't more people respond to the invitation in our services? Not just to come forward and put Jesus on in baptism. Why don't more people come forward and use that as an opportunity to share their struggles with the whole church family? Why wouldn't you want the entire family to be praying for you. Why wouldn't you want the entire family lifting you up and encouraging you? One of the reasons, probably because instead of receiving the kind of encouragement that individual would want, maybe they're afraid. Instead, they'd walk away with with bite marks. Unfortunately, Satan can use the memory of our past sin to enslave us he can use our brothers and sisters in christ to enslave us but also he's great at doing this satan is good at reinterpreting god's good news he can reinterpret and misrepresent god's good news the scriptures testify to this you know when jesus was was being tempted by satan satan comes to him and he offers those temptations and one of the things satan does is he quotes psalm 91 to jesus that's an interesting interesting approach you know he quotes psalm 91 to jesus and he misrepresents it And so he's trying to get Jesus to to step out of line, and he's using Scripture for that. Can you think of a a more gross misrepresentation of Scripture? (laughs) Scripture wasn't written to lead anybody into sin, but Satan's trying to use that against Jesus, because he's really good at that. Uh, Elsewhere, the New Testament tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light for the same purpose, to misrepresent. And whenever he has an opportunity to misrepresent, not only that, he will reinterpret. So the Gospel speaks a word, a true word, about our sin about about the guilt that we have accrued through our own actions i mean the gospel talks about that right but the gospel is also a, a word of good news that god has made a way through jesus so that we might have life and life everlasting but what happens is oftentimes in the presentations of the gospel Satan's at work misrepresenting so that we only hear the bad news so that we walk away instead of hearing all that good news maybe we just disregard it we don't believe it and we hear instead even in a presentation of the gospel, we hear bad news, and what happens is Satan enslaves us once more into those spiritual stockades. And Those are just a few of the ways that Satan works against us. And as I said, those are extreme points of view when it comes to guilt. But this spiritual stockade thing, it is just as dangerous as the spiritual sociopath, because it outright refutes the word of God when god tells you that in jesus he stands ready to forgive anything hebrews chapter 10 says let us draw near to god with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water so understand the extremes we want to avoid that question we close with is this what good is guilt over the course of this series, I hope we can put guilt in its proper perspective. Psychologists say that guilt can work to either paralyze us or to catalyze us into even greater action. We can see how evil would want to use guilt to paralyze us in the spiritual stockade or to encourage us to sin even further. But, but think about guilt from God's perspective. In God's view, there is actually something good that can come from guilt. From God's perspective, I think he wants guilt to operate kind of like a smoke detector, When the smoke detector goes off in your house, that's a signal for what? (laughs) You need to do something. (laughs) It's a signal. It's time to get up. You got to take care of something. I'm I'm not talking about just when it's beeping because the battery needs to be changed, right? Is it just me or does that only happen at like 2 in the morning? That is the way it works around our house. 2 in the morning, I'm getting the ladder to climb up and change batteries. I'm talking about when it really goes off. That's that's your sign like, hey, y'all got to get up and you got to go because you need to take some action right now that's the good that comes from guilt it prompts us to take action leading to forgiveness richard rogers was a preacher and an elder in the church in lubbock texas he used to tell this story about working in third world countries and seeing those who were afflicted with leprosy and how they were forced to sometimes sleep out even in the street he said he would walk by and, and, and they would try and teach and, sh- and share the good news of Jesus in those kinds of places. And, and oftentimes people would come in and, and, and they, they, he would see these folks and they would have no toes or no fingers. And he would ask some of the other missionaries there, you know, what's going on there? And he said, well, those are the, some of the lepers who've been sleeping out in the streets. And because the way that disease works, they, they begin to lose feeling in their digits. And so they can't even feel it when the mice and the rodents come and start nibbling on their fingers at night. lost that impulse that says hey something's wrong and i've got to get up and do something that answers our question what good is guilt that helps me see how god can use guilt to lead us to an understanding what he's done for us to take care of our guilt problem so does god want us to feel Guilty? Yes and no. Does God want us to feel a level of guilt and remorse for our actions? Yeah. Why? So that He can forgive. Does God want us to be thrown in the spiritual stockade and to only feel guilt? No. I I hope you know better than that. Because again, this is a word of good news. When it comes to our guilt, God not only wants to forgive, but he wants to heal. We're about to stand and sing together. Before we do, I want to lead us in a prayer. And I want us to pray something that you may not have prayed before. I'll be honest with you, I haven't prayed this prayer very much myself. Today, what I'd like to do before we stand and sing together, I'd like to pray and thank God for guilt. Guilt can be used by the enemy, we understand that. But today we're thanking God for the ways that he uses the guilt in our hearts to prompt us to see the action he's taken in Christ to bring deliverance and salvation. I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer and then we'll stand together and we'll sing. Let's bow. Father in heaven, today, Lord, we thank you for guilt. Father, that sounds so strange hearing it in this room but father it's so true father we understand the way that the enemy can use our guilt our shame Lord god i pray that you would help us over the next few weeks to through the power of your word shine a light on that and expose those lies but today god we thank you for guilt the kind of guilt that prompts us to take godly action today god we confess to you that our guilt is great but your grace is greater Father, today we pray for healing. Just as Jesus walked this earth with the power to heal, Lord God, we turn to you for the forgiveness and the healing that we need. This is our cry to you today, O Lord, we pray through Christ. Amen. Today, as, as we stand, if anyone is present who needs to respond to the good news of Jesus, today you need to give your life to the Lord in baptism begin that life of following after him i hope that you would do that perhaps there's some other things on your heart that you'd like to share with the shepherds of your church you'll see them down front and in the back as well remember god stands ready to forgive and to heal let's stand together and let's sing